Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. In this series, Genesis, A New Perspective, we are trying to breathe fresh life into this ancient text that lays the foundation for the Christian Bible. Each week, we will be exploring different ways that these Genesis stories impact us and the world around us and our ways of understanding God. I hope you enjoy. Our gospel reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 23. Continues on from the birth narrative and is a rather difficult text, but we read it recognizing that we find God in our difficult places too. So listen to God's word to you this morning. Now after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up. Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Harold is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, according to the time he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who were seeking the child's life are dead. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in a town called Nazareth, so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled, he will be called a Nazarene. The word of the Lord. Would you please pray with me? Most gracious and loving God, as you came to dwell with us that first Christmas, may you come to dwell with us now. Open our hearts and minds to hear your voice, to feel your presence among us that in this space we would be renewed and transformed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My husband and I have two daughters, and back when they were young, back in the never-getting-enough-sleep years as I think of them, we used to travel every year on Christmas Day to visit my family in Atlanta. And Christmas Day is actually a great day to travel. There's not a lot of crowds. I see a few head nods, so some of you have done this. Not many crowds, 
not a lot of traffic, and the people at the airport are actually in a good mood. It's all good. So it was great for us because we could wake up with our kids and the wonder of Christmas morning in their own beds, but we could also spend time with our out-of-town family during the holiday. So these are all good reasons for this tradition. But if pressed, my husband and I might or might not admit that there were other benefits that became the reason for this Christmas Day travel. It postponed that jolt back to reality. That crash after Christmas morning when the gifts are unwrapped and the paper's everywhere and the kids have played with their toys and you're sitting there looking at each other. So we postponed real life, got on an airplane, and continued the holiday. And we never really outgrow this difficult transition, do we? What do we say when we come back from a warm weather vacation or even a staycation and we head back to work Monday morning and it's, well, it's back to reality or even back to the old grind? That's because we return to our daily lives, which include burdens and uncertainties and sometimes grief, a job or maybe a job search, challenging relationships, bam, Back to reality. Well, our scripture reading today doesn't help matters, does it? We've celebrated and we're trying to ease back from the holidays, and the text itself is a jolt after our silent night, holy night images in our head from Christmas Eve. And I wonder if Joseph is also feeling jolted. In today's story, he's just experienced something pretty exciting. To say the least, he's become the father of the Messiah, savior of the world. This baby was born, angels are singing, and gifts come in. Our text opens today with the wise men actually having left, but we remember from our childhood stories, the wise men came with the three gifts, right? Gold, and we're good. So these are lavish gifts, and these are wealthy visitors, Gentile visitors, no less. Any other time, they would not have paid attention to a poor Jewish couple in a barn. But they paid attention this time, and they came with gifts worthy of a king. So Joseph knows this is a very special child, and he and Mary are very special too, called to raise this child. And not only raise it, but have it in the midst of the whole world, the Messiah among them. So this is a thrill for sure. But then as we read, Joseph is jolted back to reality. In this case, a reality represented by an evil King Herod. Joseph's world beyond that peaceful manger scene was anything but peaceful. A corrupt government oppression, poverty, and as we read, brutal violence. It sounds familiar to many parts of our world today. Yet this is the reality that God chose to come into. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, the gospel tells us. In darkness. God didn't wait for us to perfect the world before coming into it. 
God came to do the perfecting and to show us the way. This is the reality in which we find God, and this is the reality of God's love for us. God is not only in our places of joy, but also our grief-filled places, our ugly places, our places of shame, places that we have yet to go, that we fear going. God chose to become flesh and enter even into our darkest places, and from there, Jesus calls us to follow. Now, we don't read what Joseph was thinking when he was jolted into the darkness of the present, but we can only imagine. Here he is, now heading out into the complete unknown as a refugee, as a refugee without a home and with a newborn and a new wife, burdened with worries of how he's going to provide for his family, how he's going to keep them safe, These are very real fears for so many, the reality staring us in the face. Trusting and following is no easy decision for him, I am sure, because the possibilities of bad things happening are very real. A few weeks ago, I was reading in the Tribune about a group in Georgia called the Orange Duffel Bag Initiative. You may have read the story It's an organization that helps at-risk teens who've been raised as foster kids. And the founder, Sam Bracken, had been a foster child himself in 20 or more foster homes, so bouncing around a great deal. Yet today, he's a successful business executive, and he works with foster teenagers. So the story talks about him speaking with a group of these teens, And one of the teenagers asks him, How do you keep going when all the bad stuff keeps coming up? It's a great question, isn't it? How do we keep going when the bad stuff keeps coming up? Sam Bracken says, Good question. You always have trials, don't you? What allows us to go through anything in the short term is a long-term vision that you're excited about. A long-term vision you're excited about. Yes. This is where the people of faith have the advantage. This is the God-with-us gift of Christmas. Part of the experience of Christmas is the reminder of a vision that really all humankind yearns for— that there's something bigger than this reality, something more meaningful. And we're reminded that the Savior in our midst is both a sign of that vision, a path to that vision, and is also bringing on that vision at the same time. This vision is better than anything any one of us can come up with on our own. All our bad stuff, as this teen so appropriately labels it, our pain, our worry, our suffering is just short-term as God transforms the world and all of us. Our bad stuff pales in comparison to the vision of this new creation. We are reminded a transformation is underway. Jesus calls us to it, saying, follow me. I am with you. Follow me. So Joseph followed, didn't he? 
We read that he heard God in a dream and then trusted and followed. Don't you wish you heard from God so clearly? I'm laughing about my dreams, still forgetting my locker combination in middle school, wishing for Joseph's kinds of dreams. But Joseph hears in a dream and recognizes God's voice. And he must have had a lot of trust to leave with so much uncertainty before him, because really he couldn't see beyond his next step. It's like following in the dark, right? Our reality is sometimes like that. Author Anne Lamott says of these times when this, the, what's in front of us is so uncertain, she says, just step into the next spot of light. God will light your next step. I like that image because sometimes that's all you can see. God will always light your next step. Our vision is limited, but God's vision in the very present life of Jesus Christ is unlimited. God sees for us. One of my favorite passages in the Bible, when I'm faced with these difficult times ahead, when times of uncertainty, certainty are before me, is from Deuteronomy, when Moses is mentoring Joshua, getting him ready to lead the Israelites into the promised land. And Joshua, if he has any sense of the reality ahead of him, must be very scared. I'm guessing he wants to go back to the days when Moses is in charge, when Moses has taken all the heat, because that feels like a vacation now. And he is jolted into the new reality of responsibility for getting the Israelites back home. So then Moses, remembering his own experience leading the Israelites, which was filled with difficult times, encourages Joshua, telling him to be strong and bold. He says, it is the Lord who goes before you. God will be with you. God will not fail you or forsake you. God goes before us and with us. That God that became flesh and dwelt among us has always been with us. And not only that, God goes before us to prepare the way. And my experience is God is following us too, often picking up the pieces. This is truly a very present God, Emmanuel. God with us. We know this. We know this, don't we? We know it on one hand because Scripture tells us over and over stories of God being present among God's people, a gracious presence even when undeserved. And like Moses and Joseph, we know it because we each have experienced it. We have experienced God's sustaining presence in our dark days. And we've experienced it in those times when we've said, only by the grace of God did I get through that. Remembering those times helps us trust when we can't see what's ahead, when it's too scary. We remember when God was there and we trust that God will be there again. Remembering is crucial to our faith because sometimes hindsight, only in hindsight, can we see God's hand at work, God with us. And this is how we move forward through the good and the bad. 
This memory enables us to see God in our midst. This tool of remembering God's presence to get through troubles is a tool used by the psalmist frequently and also the prophet Isaiah, as we heard this morning. In the scripture lesson, Isaiah proclaims, I will recount the gracious deeds of the Lord, the praiseworthy acts of the Lord. And as we read on, as the prophet remembers and recounts, the prophet prophet sees mercy, abundant and steadfast love. He sees a savior. And do we remember what he says about that savior? Verse 8 reads, He became their savior in all their distress. It was no messenger or angel, but his presence that saved them. God's presence, saving and redeeming. Perhaps this is how Joseph faced this reality. Perhaps he recalled the gracious deeds of the Lord to give him strength as he left his homeland. Perhaps he remembered the other Joseph of the Old Testament. That Joseph also emigrated to safety in Egypt. Perhaps he remembered God bringing the Israelites out of slavery. And maybe because of his remembering, he noticed God's presence in this very moment. He expected God's presence. He trained himself to see God's presence there. And he recognized God's voice, despite what I'm sure were conflicting voices of doom around him. But he listened and was strengthened, trusting that God would go before him and with him. As we reflect on this yearning to know God's presence among us, we acknowledge how difficult it can be. Voices of doubt, our own and voices around us, crowd out God's. Pressures of our culture don't easily leave room for remembering. Uncertainties overwhelm us. Despite our stated belief in God with us, we don't always feel it. We don't always recognize and even notice that reality. It reminds me of a famous experiment the Washington Post conducted several years ago. They convinced one of the finest classical musicians in the world, Joshua Bell, to play anonymously in a busy commuter subway station in D.C. on a weekday morning. I see some heads nodding. Some of you heard this. He played some of the most intricate, exquisite music ever composed and he played it on a $3.5 million violin handcrafted by Antonio Stradivari. Famous, valuable violin. People might pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars for this concert had they known. But Mr. Bell played in the subway station in his nondescript street clothes for 45 minutes. And in that time, over a 1,000 people passed him. And how many do you think noticed him and stopped and listened? Six adults and one child. Out of over a 1,000 people, 
rushing about, burdened by the demands of their day, the realities before them, completely missing the brilliance and beauty right before them. But we have to admit it's so easy to do. I I bet I would have walked past. We don't expect to see Joshua Bell playing a Stradivari in the subway in D.C. We're not trained to notice that. And it makes me wonder if we are similarly missing God among us. Are we training ourselves to recognize God in our midst? When we are jolted back to our daily realities or new realities, do we expect to find God there? Do we remember God's presence in the past and notice God in the present? That first Christmas, our Savior Emmanuel entered into our darkest places and walked with us and shared a vision greater than anything we can see before us. This is our reality. God's loving, merciful presence has entered even our darkest places and was, is, and always will be with us. And because of that reality, we trust and follow. And in those times when following seems too hard, when remembering and listening just doesn't work, when we can't face what's before us, then God will carry us. The prophet concludes our reading today saying, In his love and pity he redeemed them. He lifted and carried them all the days of old. We live in the very real presence of our loving and merciful God who goes before us and with us. We're accompanied by a Savior who redeems us transforms us, and yes, even lifts and carries us. The God who was, is, and always will be. So now, back to that reality. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.fpcah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Prez family of faith.